If you can hear this message, listen closely. To the exiled, misunderstood, or upside down, this is your message of hope. When problems come, use them. When enemies persecute you, love them. These struggles are a fire, refining you into gold. Look around. You are not forgotten. You are not alone. Challenge what is expected of you. This world is not your home. You are different. Today we're launching into a brand new series called Different. Over the next few weeks, we're going to be looking at the book of First Peter and see how God is calling us as Jesus followers to be different from this world. So what I want to do today is to give you the context of the book of First Peter. First, I want to tell you who wrote First Peter. Who do you think wrote First Peter? Right? Uh, both of you are right. Peter wrote the book of First Peter, right? That's a little spoiler, I know. Um, and, and sometimes I think Peter gets a bad rap, doesn't he? Um, like Peter, when, when people think of Peter, they say, well, he's just an uneducated fisherman. Right? Um, it's one of the most common descriptions of Peter that I hear. Um, just because a guy hasn't been formally educated doesn't mean that the guy wasn't sharp. Right? Some of the sharpest people I've known have never went to college, have never had any formal education whatsoever. Right? Peter was, was a businessman. He was a fisherman. He was a tremendous leader. He was passionate. He was bold. In fact, when you read his writings in First Peter, he deals with some incredibly weighty and heavy theological issues. Right? He was writing to a group of hurting Christians, and he talks about things like foreknowledge. He talks about divine election. He talks about sanctification. He talks about obedience. He talks about the blood of Christ. He talks about the Trinity. He talks about revelation. Right? If you study Peter, there are two big themes that emerge. You'll see them over and over again. Is that he talks about the hope that we have in Christ. And then he tells us to be different from the world. To give you a little bit of context, let's talk about when it was written and what was going on in the world, because it's important to understand that, that to really grasp the meaning of what God wants us, uh, of what God wants us to live and to do through this book. First Peter was written somewhere around the years of 60 and 65 AD. We're not exactly sure when, but this was during the reign of a very evil and corrupt ruler named Nero. Now, if you don't know much about Nero, let me just paint a picture for you. Um, This guy killed his mother. Um, He killed his first wife, and he most likely killed his second wife. Um, The guy was so twisted that history believes that he actually burned the city of Rome. And what we do know is that in July of 64 AD, this big fire broke out, and it burned for six days uncontrollably, and they couldn't put it out. On the sixth day, they put it out. Then it reignited, burned another three days, and history believes that Nero started the fire because he had this insatiable lust to build, and the Senate wouldn't let him rebuild, so he just burnt everything down so that he would have to rebuild it. Now listen, that didn't go so well for him because people started to blame him for burning Rome, so he decided to blame this little group of very passionate, already hated people known as Christ ones or Christians. 
They were Jesus followers. He said they did it, and, and so this already persecuted group was persecuted brutally in this season in which Peter was writing this letter. Just to give you an idea of what Nero and how sick he was, among the other things that what he did is he actually put animal skins on Christians. He put the carcasses of animal skins on Christians, like dead animals. He put the skins on them, and he put them in a cage, and he unleashed, he unleashed these packs of dogs into the cage and would watch them maul them and destroy these Christians as he would sip wine and drink this in as entertainment. The guy was so sick that he would take Christians, and you'd have to understand that these are real people just like me and you that love their families, and he would dip them in hot wax, and he would, he would put them on a tree and tie their hands behind their back, and, and, and he would essentially make human candles out of them. And he would light them up and and throw these parties around these suffering Christians. This is the context in which Peter was writing when he wrote the book that we're about to read. So who is this message for? Listen, this message is for two groups of people. This message is, number one, for people in this room that are hurting right now, who have questions that are unanswered, who are going through a trial You're enduring something difficult. It might be a financial trial. It might be the loss of a job. It might be some kind of health issue. It might be a tension in an important relationship. It might be your children that are moving in a direction that you don't want. It could be emotional. It could be an addiction. It's some sort of trial. Maybe you're going through a difficult time. This message is for you. The second group of people that, that this would be for is those who one day will go through a trial. And the truth is, that would be all of you, right? Um, I had a pastor who once said that, that you're either coming out of a trial, you're in the middle of a trial, or you're going into a trial because life can be difficult. Am I right? Um, life can be difficult, and so not, no matter what you're going through, We want to hear from God in a way that could speak to us as we're hurting. And that's the context for which we start into this very powerful book. So if you have your Bible with me, open it up to 1 Peter 1. And it starts this way. This is a letter from Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ. I'm writing to God's chosen people who are living as foreigners. Now everybody say that out loud. They are living as foreigners. In the provinces of Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia. The Greek word that's translated as foreigners is translated in many ways depending on what Bible that you've got. The word is translated as exiles, as sojourners, or aliens, or strangers, Or foreigners. In other words, Peter is saying that you need to understand and remember that this is not your home. If you're a follower of Jesus, you're a stranger to this world. You're a sojourner. You're just passing through. You're an alien. This isn't your final dwelling place. You're a heavenly creature serving a heavenly God passing through this temporary world into an eternal dwelling place where one day you will be with God. If this world is not your home, therefore you will be different from this world. 
For those of you that are followers of Christ, what does this mean? It means that you're going to have different values than those around you. It means that you're going to have different morals than other people. You're going to have a different belief system. You're going to be different as a mom. You'll be different as a dad. You'll be different as a husband. You'll be different as a wife. You'll be different in the way that you raise your children. You'll be different in the way that you relate to people. You'll be different in how that you deal with someone who mistreats you. You'll be different in the way that you invest your money. You'll be different in the way that you spend your time. Why? Because this world is not your home. You're called to be different. And in our message today, we're going to look at what Peter is going to show us, that, that if you're in the middle of a trial because this world is not your home, you can have a different kind of faith when you go through something incredibly different. That's what I want to do today, is look at the words of this very powerful book, and we're going to look at different faiths in trials. Remember who Peter is writing to in, in 1 Peter 1, verse 6 and 7, almost almost would appear shocking when you understand the context, right? He says this to hurting Christians, so be truly glad. 1 Peter 1, 6, so be truly glad. Wow. Right? Is anybody with me? So be truly glad. He, he says because there is a wonderful joy ahead, even though you must endure many trials for a little while. In other words, God may not make these temporary trials go away, but there is wonderful joy ahead. And, and then he, he's going to show these trials have a purpose. He says these trials will show that your faith is what? What does it say? That your faith is genuine. Now think about this. The, these trials will show that your faith is genuine. If there is such a thing as genuine faith, then, then what would the opposite be? If there is genuine faith, then there also must be false faith, right? In, in fact, this is honestly my greatest concern with the Western world in the Bible Belt, like where we live, because it can be so easy to be a Christian that I believe that many people would call themselves Christians, but they're not at all. It's a false faith. If there's a genuine faith, there also is a false faith, and, and it's my great fear. It's a great fear that there are many of you who are in church semi-regularly that you believe you're a Christian, but your faith is not real. Can I be that direct with you this morning? Let me show you three different types of false faith this morning. If you're taking note, the first one would be what I would call an inherited faith. Right? This is what some of you might have. This is where we go like this. If we're talking, we might say, well, my mom was a Methodist and my dad was a Baptist and we go to church some, you know, Christmas and Easter and a couple other times. So obviously I'm a Christian, right? You know, I'm not a Buddhist. I'm not a Muslim. So I must be Christian. My parents were, my grandmother was, and, and it's an inherited faith. But it's not your faith. For example, I talked to a 19-year-old guy, and, and he said that he grew up in church every Sunday, every Wednesday, always in youth group, and he said that now that he's off to college, he's not really sure that he believes all this stuff. What's he saying? That he had an inherited faith. It was his parents. It wasn't his, and that would be perhaps where some of you are right now. 
It's not genuine. It's not really yours. Second type of faith is what I would call shallow faith. It's a shallow faith. Jesus talks about this in the story that he told in Matthew chapter 13. You can read about it if you want. He, he, he said a sower or a farmer went out to sow some seeds, to plant some seeds, and he said that some of the seeds took root and a little plant sprung up. The roots didn't grow deep enough, and it was a shallow faith. So Jesus said that when the worries of life and the deceitfulness of wealth and the love for the things of the world came along, it choked out the little plant and it died. Why? Because the roots weren't deep enough. And that, again, is where some of you are. In fact, if I can be just real honest... I don't want to be a prophet of doom or anything, but the truth of it, I believe that some of us in here six months from now, some of you that are, that are happy to be here today, some of you that, 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 are, that are glad to be here today, six months from now, you're not going to be here. You're, 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 you're not going to be in any church, for a matter of fact. You're, you're, you're not going to be reading your Bible. You're not going to be praying. Maybe you're, going to be, you're probably going to be dealing with some kind of addiction. Um, there's going to be absolutely no spiritual power, no spiritual victory in your life, and there's going to be, and, and unfortunately, it's probably absolutely and completely true. I don't like it, but I've seen it over time, and, and, and for those that have a shallow faith, that's what happens. We're, we're there for right now, and we're like, ooh, look at me, I'm really spiritual, and then six months later, everything dies. Why? Because something bad happened in our life, and we see that we have fallen to the wayside. Right? You're here right now, you're kind of excited. Listen, let me explain it this way. People confess things to me all the time, right? Anybody ever had people confessing to you? Do I look like a Catholic priest? No, no, I don't, right? Strangers even confess things to me, and, and it's really weird sometimes. Um, really, sometimes they vomit all over me. Like, look, I, I like the Catholic faith, um, I, I, I respect it, but, but I'm, I'm not a Catholic priest. I don't look like a Catholic priest. I don't wear one of the collars. Um, but sometimes they just tell me things. Um, and, and the truth is, a lot of pastors face this. A, a pastor, I heard a story recently, and a pastor and his wife went into this restaurant, and a 19 or 20-year-old um, kid, waiter, came up to him, and he was really excited to see them. And he was like, oh my gosh, you're my pastor. I love you. Oh my gosh. I love your church. We go all the time. Right? And, and, and this kid just started confessing. He was like, okay, I'm, I'm, I'm lying. I haven't actually been in two years. Well, I haven't been. I was going, but I got so busy. I've had debt, and I've got school, and, and I had to work. And, and, you know, I can't go to work. work on, I've got to work on Sunday mornings, and I know there's a Sunday night, and I don't go on Sunday night. Why? Because I'm living with my girlfriend, and I feel so guilty because we're smoking pot. And the pastor was like, whoa, 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 look, kid, we just want to order some appetizers, Right? And, and, and this kid just started confessing, right? And so the pastor goes, hey, wait, wait, stop. You want to be close to God, right? And, and of course, the kid goes, yeah, 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 yeah. I want to be close to God. And he, and he said, then come Sunday night. But listen, just coming Sunday night isn't going to be enough. You need to get connected. You need to get plugged in. Because how many of you guys know in order to get plugged in, to get something that's going to take root, you've got to do something more than just show up to a church service on a Sunday, Man, it got quiet in here. This is the quietest I've ever heard you guys. So you know what he said? He said, you need to get plugged into some life groups. Man, does that word sound familiar? Life groups. Right? Listen, that's why we do life groups. Because we want you to get plugged in. We don't want you six months from now 
to be struggling and to be by yourself. Listen, because it stinks to struggle by yourself. This life is not meant to be done alone. It's meant to be done in community with other people who can hold you, wait for it, accountable. We don't like that word, do we? Well, they're being legalistic. Look, it's only legalistic if they're telling you you're going to go to hell and you're going to lose your salvation. It's not legalistic if they're telling you you probably shouldn't be out getting drunk on Saturday night and then showing up and leading worship on Sunday morning. Now, by the way, just for the record, nobody on our worship team does that, okay? Just in case you were wondering. But, but can I tell you, there's a standard there, and can I tell you, it's okay to begin to hold people to a higher lifestyle, a higher standard. Why? Because Jesus called us to a higher standard. Listen, it's the reason we do life groups. I really believe that it's the purest form of church. Why? Because the disciples all the way back in, in, in the book of Acts met in churches, or not met in churches, they met in houses, okay? They got together and, and they did life together. Listen, starting this Wednesday, I, this Wednesday, I, I feel so convicted about this and, and so passionate about it that starting this Wednesday night, if you're not involved in, in youth or you're not involved in kids' ministry serving those areas, and listen, if you're serving those areas, keep serving. But if you're not and you're just dropping kids off or you're like sitting here Wednesday nights going, well, crap, I don't know what to do. Like, I'd, I'd come, but there's nothing for the else. Guess what? Show up 6.30 at our house. I'm going to be doing a life group every Wednesday night, and we're, we're going to be doing that, and we're going to be doing life together. So show up. Why? Because it's important. Why? Because what's going to happen is, is, is we're going to begin to do life together. And listen, I know that there's an argument that you're going to have, and, and, and your argument is, look, if I go, there's going to be weird people there. And, and can I tell you, yeah, there is, right? There's always going to be weird people in life groups. It's a principle, Y'all didn't know this, but it's a principle, right? There's always a weird person in a life group. Um, There's always one. If you say there's not any weird people in my life group, there is. Um, There's always one. Um, If if you're trying to figure out who the weird person in your life group is and you can't figure out who it is, it's probably you. Um, Listen, you're going to have to deal with weird people all of your life. And you're going to have to learn how to forgive people that hurt you. And you're going to have to deal with things that you don't like. And you're going to have to move yourself. You're going to have to move out of self into others. And you get into a community where you're studying God's word. And you're praying for each other. And you're caring for each other. And when you start to stray, people are going to be like, no, 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 no. Get back here. Get back here. Get back here. We're followers with Jesus. And your roots are going to begin to grow deep. Okay? Listen, this is one of the most important things. Listen, because there's somebody here. You need to hear this, okay? You're here and you've come and you're kind of in, you need to take this step forward because before the devil takes you out. Let me say it again. You need to take this step forward before the devil takes you out because I don't want you six months from now fighting some kind of addiction. Your marriage is screwed up. The kids are hurting. You're doubting. You're far from God because you need strength from God's people. Listen, church is not listening to a podcast. Church is the body of Christ where we gather corporately to worship God, strengthening one another to attack the world with, love, with the love of Jesus. Listen, this really matters to God. Jesus died for the church. He's returning for the church. He said, I will build my church. The church matters to Jesus. Therefore, it has to matter to us. 
we're not going to have shallow faith. The third thing is conditional faith. It's those who would say, I believe in God, I love God, I love God, I believe in God as long as things are going my way. Right? This is some of you. You know people like this. I, I, I talked to a guy that said this recently. He said, my wife left me. I lost, I lost my job. How can I believe in a God who, allow, who would allow that to happen? Listen, that's a conditional faith, and that's a false faith. There are those of you that have a false faith, and I believe that God has brought you here today to change that into a genuine faith. Listen, trials can reveal the depth of your faith. Trials can reveal the depth of your faith. If you're going through a difficult time, and some of you, you may say, well, my faith is being tested right now. My my faith is being tested. How is it that God uses our trials? How is it that God uses our trials? I believe it's in two different ways. Number one, our trials reveal your faith. Our trials reveal your faith. Let's look again at 1 Peter 1.7. These trials will show that your faith is genuine. I love to say it this way. uh, A faith that's being tested is a faith that can be trusted. Okay? A faith that's being tested is one that can be trusted. In fact, that, that was Peter. He had been tested. He had even failed a little bit. He had been strengthened, regrouped, redeemed, made new, and he was completely transformed. In fact, let me show you back maybe 25 years prior to when Peter wrote the book. So go back a couple of decades, and he had this conversation with Jesus that was recorded in Luke's gospel, Luke 22, verse 31 and 33. Luke 22, 31 and 33. Jesus said to him, Simon, Simon, Peter has... Or Simon, Simon, Simon Peter, Satan has asked to sift you like wheat. In other words, Satan wants to test you. Satan wants to see what you're made of. Listen, don't ever think for a moment that your spiritual enemy is not scheming to take away the to take away from the things of God. Don't ever think for a moment that he's not attacking. Satan wants to sift you as wheat. He wants to test you. What are you made of, Peter? And so Jesus says, But I have prayed for you, Simon, that your faith might not fail. Because trials reveal your faith. And when you have turned back, in other words, when you're not going to, you're not always going to get it right, Peter. But when you have turned back, strengthen your brothers. How did God use the trial to transform Peter? Think about this. In the early years, let's be honest, Peter was kind of obnoxious, wasn't he? He was very inconsistent. He was hot-headed. He was rash. But in the later years, that wasn't him at all, was it? He was incredibly bold. He was incredibly tenacious. He was full of faith. What happened? God used the trials to strengthen him. What was one of the big trials? Well, Peter was always shooting off the mouth. And one time to Jesus, he said, Hey, if all those other loser disciples deny you, I never will. I'm your guy. I've got your back. I'll never leave you. I'll never forsake you. John, you, you can't even trust him, but, but you can trust me, Jesus. Then what happened? Not one time, not two times, but three times Peter denied Jesus. One of the times it was a little girl. Do you know Jesus? I don't know him. I've never even heard of him. 
right? A, a second grade girl with a Snoopy lunchbox, you know? No, no, I've, I've never heard of him in my life, okay? And then he sees Jesus' eyes and his heart's ripped out. Jesus brutally dies on the cross for Peter's sins and for our sins. And then three days later, the stone is rolled away. The tomb is empty. Christ is risen. And in John 21, you see the meaning, meaningful encounter between the risen Christ and Peter. And Jesus said, do you love me? Yes, you love me. And he gives him an assignment. He said, feed my sheep. What happened shortly after that? Peter, the same guy that messed up, was the guest preacher on the day of Pentecost when 3,000 people were born into the kingdom of God. What happened? God used the trials to strengthen his faith to change him into who he was becoming. Trials can reveal and strengthen your faith. That's why James, the brother of Jesus, even said in James 1, 2, he said, Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds. If you're in a trial, you can count it all joy because you know that the testing of your faith produces what? Perseverance. In other words, God is going to use it. God's doing something in it. Listen, if you're racked with pain right now, what I hope you understand is that there's a purpose in your pain. Listen, my God will never waste your hurt. He's always working in it. He's always for you. He loves you and He is always good. Trials reveal your faith. The second thing that I hope you see is that trials can draw you closer to God. Trials can draw you closer to God. 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 8 and 9 tell us directly, and I want you to watch the power of the language. The imagery that, that Peter uses, he says, You love God even though you have never seen Him. Though you do not see Him now, you trust Him. And watch this. He says, now remember who he's writing to. These are the people that, 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 you know, maybe their cousin just got burned as a candle the night before. Okay, that's how dark it is. He says, and you rejoice with a glorious, inexpressible joy. Did you catch that? A glorious, inexpressible joy. You know what kind of joy that is? That's a joy that could only come from heaven. It's a joy which we don't have the words for in human vocabulary to adequately describe the heavenly emotion that settles on our soul, that calms our mind, that gives us peace beyond our human ability to understand. But even though you're grieving, even though you're hurting, even though you're afraid, even though it's dark, even though there may, they may be coming to get you, you can still have this glorious, inexpressible joy. And then he says, the reward for trusting him will be the salvation of your souls. The reward will be the salvation of your souls. Notice this. That is what we call the gospel. What is the gospel? It's the good news of who Jesus is. What I hope you understand is that the good news is, is not that God saves us from our trials. The good news is that God saves us from our sins. And somebody help me get this point across because it's really good news. God never said that I'm going to deliver you from all your troubles. He never said that, I'm, that you're not going to have migraine headaches. He never said that you're not going to have financial difficulties. He never said that you're not going to have that person that drives you crazy at work. He never said any of that. In matter of fact, Jesus said quite the opposite. In John 16, Jesus said that in this world you will have trouble, but take heart, for I have overcome come the world.
The good news is not that Jesus saves us from our trials. The good news is that he saves our souls and forgives our sins. That's the best news of all times. That someone would say, but Pastor Jason, but, but God will never give you more, more than I can handle. Right? God will never give me more than I can handle. Listen, that's a perversion and a twisting of Scripture. That's a misinterpretation of verse that says that God will never let you be tempted beyond what you can bear. The, the, the Bible never says that God won't give you more than you can handle. I'm absolutely convinced that God will often allow you to have more than you can handle because it teaches you to depend on Him. When, when you're hurting, you draw close to Him. When, when, when you're desperate, you call on Him because let's be honest, for those with the false faith, the moment that life is okay, you don't need Him. You just do life without Him. I'm convinced that there are times when God will allow you to be weak because in your weakness, His strength is made perfect. God will allow you to get to a place where you are so low that all you can do is look up to Him and you will find Him and He will be good. And when you press into Him, you can experience a glorious, inexpressible joy. This morning, I want you to hear a testimony on this. Uh, a pastor that I have followed for many years. Um, some of you uh, might have heard of a little church called Life Church. Um, Craig Rochelle is the senior pastor um, there and has been in the midst of some trials um, over the last few years. And I want you to hear his take on some of this inexpressible joy. I can't tell you how many times that I've been back in my little, little room getting ready fighting off the tears in the last year and just come out and preach my brains out and go back and hurt. And let me explain to you why. And those of you who are on the inside, meaning you don't have shallow faith, but you like you come to worship nights. If you were a worship night, uh, Amy and I stood up here and cried before. He actually, I cried and she stood there strong. <laughs> I blabbed, you know, this ugly cry. I talked to you about my daughter, Mandy. And um, she's my, my second daughter. Uh, she's 21. She got married when she was 20. I told her it was entirely too young to get married. I, I, I almost forbid her. And she told me that that was how old her mom was when I married her. I'm like, okay, fine. <laughs> right? And, uh, and uh, she married a great guy. We, we love him dearly. And uh, let me show you some pictures of Mandy just so you'll understand. This, this, is, this was my, uh, I took Mandy to Denver. It was my last trip with her alone before uh, she got married. And this is her husband, James. Great, great guy, youth pastor at one of our churches. This is Mandy at the Mayo Clinic, um, where she just was a couple of weeks ago. And the reason she was at the Mayo Clinic is because right before her wedding, a year and several months ago, she got mononucleosis. And uh, she never recovered. She got over mono, but her body never recovered. And so she can come to one church service on some weekends. She couldn't come to two. She can go to the grocery store one day, and she has to stay home the next day and rest. And so um, we looked at the the best doctors, best doctors, and they couldn't diagnose it. We don't know what's going on. And so we thought, you know, another month, surely, and she'll get to go back to work. Another month, surely, she'll be better. Another month, surely, her body won't be racked with pain. Another month, 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 month. And finally, I'm like, man, this could be really, really serious. And I said, I'm paying and you're going. Get on a plane with your husband. Go to Mayo Clinic. And we're going to have the best doctors in the nation check you out. So this is weighing on me. The um, night before that we finally got a diagnosis, I had a dream that Mandy died. Okay? And so, 
So I went in the other. I went in the other room. I didn't tell Amy. I just cried, cried, and cried, and cried, and cried. I texted her at five in the morning. Are you okay? She didn't respond. It's five in the morning. She's asleep. I'm like respond, respond, respond. You know. Finally, she did. And um, this has been weighing on me like that. And so she got a diagnosis. And the really good news is that um, it's not life threatening, which was our real fear. Okay. We praise God for that. And. Um, So, so we have a plan, and the doctors tell us it could take it could take years, but we think we can get her back to a good and healthy place. And I, I believe in a God that it can do miracles. I believe it'll be faster than years. I still have faith. Okay. In the middle of this, I uh, right before Mandy went to uh, Mayo, you know, she's in pain every day, and you know how it is when you're a parent. Like I'd give anything to be in that place and take it for her. I said, "Baby, do you still have hope?" And she smiled bigger than you can imagine. She said, Daddy, I always have hope in Jesus. She said, Hope's my middle name. And it is, Amanda Hope. It's her middle name. And um, I've just watched this girl, and I've seen what it's done in my marriage. And at the same time, it's been one of the harder seasons in our life. It's been one of the most intimate seasons with the goodness of our God. And uh, Precious Mandy started making YouTube videos, and now she's got over 1,000 subscribers that are that are people around the world that are facing chronic illnesses, and she's not just helping minister to them, but she's, she's pointing them to Jesus and, and seeing God use her greatest trial to, to make a difference. Here's what I want you to understand is our faith is not in what we see. Our faith is in who God is. I'll say it again. Our, our faith is not in what we see. Our faith is in who God is. At the same time, we hurt because it's real. And at the same time, we've got human fears because we're human. We have supernatural faith in the goodness of God. And I, I want you to understand is, is that in the midst of trials, in the midst of some news yesterday for my family, in the midst of a potential diagnosis, there's an inexpressible joy. My dad called me yesterday, and my dad's been having health issues for about a year now. And we'll have an appointment with an oncologist this week. Um, they found two nodules in his lungs and a legion on his back. And can I tell you, in the human flesh, it sucks. But my God is bigger than any diagnosis. And I don't know about you, but when you receive bad news, it kind of floors you. And so I had to go drive around to pray through. You see, because I believe in praying through. Not just praying about it, but praying through until you get some peace about it. Because the enemy would try and steal your peace. And here's the thing, we have no clue. If, if anything's cancerous or not, but it could be. But can I just tell you in our family right now, there's this inexpressible joy that can only come from God. Why? Because it's not in what we see, it's in who God is. If you're in here today and you're hurting, you're here because God loves you. Take a step towards Him today. When you draw near to Him, He will draw near to you. And God loves you so much that he brought you here to help you understand that you're not experiencing a trial because you're bad or you did something wrong. But he can actually use the trial to strengthen you, to conform you to the image of his son Jesus. And you may never be the same as you trust in him. Father, I ask you today that you would do a work that only you can do to bring healing. God, especially to those who are healing. Now, nobody looking around. I want to talk to you, the, to, to those of you who are hurting. 
And you might have a financial situation. You might have a physical condition. It might be someone that you love. It might be relational. It might be spiritual questions. It might be emotional. It might be some type of addiction. Um, but, but you say, I'm facing a challenge, a trial, and I need prayer today. If that's you, I want you to just lift your hand high right where you are. Right now, just lift them up all over this place. God, I thank you today that not just that there's hurting people, but I thank you that there's hurting people here today in your presence. God, and we rejoice with those who rejoice, and we mourn with those who mourn, and today we hurt with those who are hurting. But God, we also hope with those who have hope in your son, Jesus. And today, God, we ask that you would do a miracle in our hearts. God, draw us close to you. God, we thank you that, God, in even the midst of the most severe trials, that there is inexpressible and glorious joy for those who know you. God, in the middle of our trials, that we may experience the peace that goes beyond our human ability to understand that, in our, uh, that our faith is not in what we see. Our faith is in who you are, God. Help us to trust in you. Though we don't see you, we still trust in you. God, we thank you that you're good. God, today I pray for miracles. God, I I pray for my dad. I, I speak the name of Jesus over him. I believe in faith that he will be healed. God, I pray for miracles in physical bodies at churches all over the world. God, I, I pray for financial provision. I pray for relational restoration. God, we, we ask that you would do miraculous works. God, in between our prayers and the time that we see it, God, we choose to trust in you and we thank you, God, that you are real, that you are here, God, that you are with us and you are administering this glorious, undescribable peace to our souls, God, that would be different because, God, we have been with you. Listen, as you continue praying today, um, there are those of you that you're going to realize that, that you've got a false faith that's not real, it's not deep, it's not secure, it's not yours. It might be inherited, it might be conditional, it might be whatever it is, recognize that, that, that I've got a false faith. Listen, you're here today not by accident, but it's time to put your faith in God. Listen, you're, you're here today not by accident. I want everyone to look up at me right now. Nobody, nobody looking down, every head up here, every eye on me. Listen, there are those of you that recognize that you are not following Christ. Right? There are some of you that you might even appear to be a Christian. Right? Everybody thinks you are, but you recognize that you don't have real roots. You don't have real faith. Today, what I'm asking you to do is to go public before everybody else and say, I need Christ and I commit my life to him. Jesus said, if you confess me before people, I will confess you before my God in heaven. If you do not confess me, I will not confess you. Listen, there are those of you that need to recognize Christ. Right? Some of you think that you're following him, but you realize that you're not. Others of you, you may look like you're really far from God. And how could I ever take a step? Listen, you come to God as you are. Listen, you're here today because God loves you. Listen, when you call in the name of Jesus, who is perfect in every way, he died and he rose again, he will hear your prayer, he will forgive your sins. Listen, he will make you brand new. You're not a better version of you, you'll be a different version of you. He will completely forgive you. You'll become a new person in Christ. Those of you who would say, yes, that's me. I don't care who's watching. I need his grace. I need his forgiveness. I want genuine faith today. I want to go public. I want to give my life. I want you to lift your hand right now. Yeah. Can we pray? Heavenly Father.
Pray with me. Heavenly Father, take my life. I give it to you. Jesus, save me. Forgive me. Make me new. Fill me with your spirit so I can know you, serve you, and follow you. Help me be different from this world so I can completely live for you. My life is not my own. I give it to you. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Amen.